Well, this morning in Luke's Gospel, we're invited to see the events of the first Christmas through the eyes of Simeon and Anna, who've both been waiting and hoping for God's consolation. Anna and Simeon are witnesses that the hope that God uh, has announced to us in the gospel has come in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you would, would you stand? We're going to read from Luke uh, 2, where we left off in the call to worship from verse 21 uh, through verse 38. Let's pray. A gracious Heavenly Father, as we celebrate, as we... Uh, Today, we ask that in these moments, our hearts might be quiet, and that we might hear you speak to us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. At the end of eight days, he was circumcised, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the hearts of so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God, to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You may take your seats. Well, we are honored uh, to have those of you who are uh, guests with us. Uh, today. Later today, if not uh, later this week, when all the gifts have been unwrapped uh, after you've uh, finished uh, your Christmas uh, meal, um, uh, and your thoughts are likely to turn to next year. If not today, uh, before the end of the week, you'll start thinking about what the next year 
holds. And for some of you, you'll just be relieved that this day is over. Uh, there's no more shopping, no more traffic, no more lines, no more cooking, no more cleaning, and dare I say, no more guests. Life can get back to normal. But for others of you, someone you know, or perhaps even yourself, will slide into depression and despair. People uh, have rallied uh, for uh, Christmas season, though it was a dark and hard year uh, for them. And uh, they'd hoped through 2022 things would get better, but they didn't. And the thought of the new year that just maybe, well, a relationship would uh, mend, some circumstance would change. They could see their life in a different way. Maybe they wouldn't be as lonely as they'd been before. That, that some opportunity that would bring uh, them uh, relief in their pain would take place. And as they think about that, they think, as the new year's about to dawn, I've tried all that before and nothing changed. Why will it be any different in 2023? Hopelessness is pervasive and contagious. And snowmen, candy canes, reindeer, uh, bright lights, red ornaments, none of those things will dispel hopelessness. The events of the first Christmas are God breaking into our world with fresh activity to give us hope. Uh, Simeon and Anna see that hope and are witnesses uh, to it. Uh, a hope that's for us. Now Luke sets uh, the scene. He takes his time doing that. He wants us to slow down instead of what would be more typical biblical brevity. Uh, he uh, lays out this picture uh, for us. On the eighth day, in keeping uh, with the command of God, Jesus is circumcised. He is marked uh, in his flesh uh, with the sign of the covenant of Abraham, and he's given his name as the angel had named him, Jesus. And then Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph uh, bring Jesus to the temple. They are bringing him there to present him uh, to God, for God had claimed all the firstborn in Israel. And so they're offering him to God for the special service uh, uh, that he will perform. But to fully appreciate what's happening here, we need to understand where they are. Uh, the temple had been transformed by Herod the Great into this uh, massive structure that covered acres of land and was one of the seven wonders in the ancient uh, world. And for a pious Jew, it was the very center of the universe. It's here that God placed his name, his uh, presence. It's here that God dwells on earth. If you wanted uh, to be in God's presence, this is where you would uh, go. If... Uh, you uh, were in a time of difficulty or distress. This is where you would come uh, to pray. When famine or drought or war or oppression visited you, 
when powerful and overwhelming circumstances swallowed up your life and hope. The temple is where you would come. Here Mary comes to be purified because the law of Moses said that her uh, postpartum discharges made her unclean. And so she uh, brought the least expensive offering, being poor, that she could. Two birds. These bloody ceremonies, the killing of these birds and circumcision point to a deep spiritual truth that we, uh, on our own, are unfit to be in the presence of God, the one who's the fountain of all life and hope. We're unfit because uh, our lives are stained with rebellion and resistance and sin against uh, God. And um, it's that sin that's present in us that is the the root and the deepest cause of the hopelessness uh, that we experience. Those two rituals not only pointed at the root of our hopelessness, but also spoke of God's purpose to uh, redeem us uh, from that. Uh, That God would act to rescue us. Um, And um, these events that are happening in the temple and the lives of Simeon and Anna are lived against a very dark uh, backdrop. It has been 400 years since God has sent a prophet uh, to uh, his people. God seems silent and distant, and things are hopeless uh, in the land of Israel. Uh, For uh, centuries now, they have been oppressed by one great power after another, Babylon and uh, Persia and Greece, and now uh, Rome occupies Uh, their uh, land. Armies move through the land freely. Uh, Oppressive taxes are imposed. And those who should uh, be leading the nation spiritually, the priesthood at the highest levels are corrupt. They've abandoned biblical orthodoxy and immersed themselves in the politics of uh, Rome. Uh, The Pharisees, the people who most embraced uh, biblical uh, teaching and morality were the ancient equivalent of the Taliban enforcing a uh, rigid legalistic uh, code of behavior on people completely contrary to the very spirit of God's uh, revealed religion in the Old Testament. Simeon and Anna are both living in these dark times. And they are waiting in hope for God to act. Now, Simeon is introduced this way. We're told that there was a man in Jerusalem who was righteous and devout, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, he'd been told by God that he would live to see the Messiah uh, born. And the Holy Spirit has drawn him into the temple at just the moment that Mary and Joseph are there presenting uh, Jesus to God. He's there at the right time in the right place. The temple area is huge. That he's right there is an indication of 
God shaping and ordering uh, these events. And uh, he takes Jesus into his arms and uh, blesses uh, God and utters this prophetic word. He starts by saying his life's purpose is fulfilled. Uh, Now he can die because God's word to him that he would uh, see uh, the longing, want a child has come. And he takes up the language of the prophet Isaiah. And he says that Jesus is the servant of the Lord, uh, who would be God's light, not just to Israel, but to the nations. This child was born uh, for the nations. He's not the property of Israel. And he's also Israel's glory for his life and mission show the unique honor given to the people of Israel that they uh, would be the one from whom the Messiah would uh, come. Jesus would fulfill all of Israel's history. Everything that had been leading up to uh, crescendos uh, in him. And Luke has emphasized Simeon's spiritual and moral qualifications as a righteous man so that we might know that uh, he is a trustworthy uh, witness about the meaning of the life of this child. You might wonder, well, if Jesus is all those things and if salvation has come, if light has dawned, then why is hopelessness so pervasive? Why is it pervasive even in the lives of those who uh, would agree with Simeon about who Jesus is? Well, in the words that Simeon speaks, uh, he tells us, it's in part that, well, hope comes through conflict. So as Simeon is there, Joseph and Mary are amazed. They're amazed that this man knows who their child is. How does he know uh, who this one is? And, and I suspect they're somewhat amazed by what he says as well, that they're still processing all the things they've heard about this child, and they haven't put all the pieces together. And he hands them one more piece of the puzzle of who their special child is. And... Uh, Simeon uh, says this child will bring a crisis to Israel. Some will fall. Those who are the elite, the religious elite, the insiders, the powerful, those who think they've got it all together, think they know all there is to know about God, they're going to fall. And others will rise. Those are the common people, the poor and the marginalized and the irreligious. Simon is announcing that this child will awaken great opposition. Not everyone will embrace what God is doing. Not everyone will welcome God's salvation on God's terms. And the thoughts of many hearts are going to be revealed. Salvation and hope will come or not come depending on what people think of Jesus. And the the shadow of the coming conflicts that he speaks of are just chronicled uh, in Luke's uh, gospel as Jesus clashes with the religious uh, elite, uh, with the high priests, uh, the entire religious establishment. And Mary will see this. 
her own family, and even her neighbors whom she's known for a lifetime will say uh, false and cruel things about uh, her son. That he's a madman, that he's demon-possessed, that he's a deceiver, that he's a charlatan. And uh, she will watch as those tensions rise in this national conflict that Jesus uh, creates. And she will observe as the worst happens. Simon, you see, sees all the way to the cross when he announces that a sword will pierce her heart. And Mary will witness what no mother should ever have to see her child endure. You see, what Simeon's saying is that Jesus is going to expose through his words and deeds the hearts of everyone. And in such a way that where they stand in relation to him will be exposed. No one can sit on the fence. You're either for Jesus or against him. Simeon tells us that hope resides in a person, in Jesus. And hope comes through conflict. And in order for us to receive the hope that Jesus brings Our hearts, too, must be exposed. What's at the root of our hearts must be exposed. I think it was Solzhenitsyn who said that good and evil, the line between them runs through every human heart. And you have to see that in order uh, to benefit from what Jesus has come uh, to do. Because Jesus has come to die to break the power of evil in our hearts, the power that drives us to hide from God or uh, that resides in uh, the way that we respond to people and situations around us as if God doesn't exist. Uh, There's nothing else, no self-help program, no amount of self Uh, discipline, no new habits you can adopt that can break the power of evil uh, in our hearts. And then we look through Anna's eyes. Luke again emphasizes the moral and spiritual credentials that she has to underscore the validity uh, of her as a witness uh, to hope. She's old and scholars debate just quite how old she is the Uh, The translation we've read from takes it she's 84, but it might be that she was widowed for 84 years, which would place her at about 103 or 5 years of age. And her piety is emphasized in that she chose not to remarry. She's cast herself entirely on God uh, for the provision of her food. Uh, She resides in the temple. Uh, She prays and fasts. Fasting is an act of protest against what's wrong in the world. And her praying is is an expression of her active trust uh, that the living God would remember his promises and act in history. And so, once again, God arranges uh, for Anna to be right where the child is, where her parents are. Are She's in the right place at the right time. And she testifies that it is he who redeemed Jerusalem. Now that word redeem is a rich biblical uh, word that harkens back to the Exodus, to that dark time when God's people were enslaved. They were uh, without power. Their situation was uh, hopeless. 
They had no future. Uh, redemption is a word of hope that speaks of a deliverance uh, that's coming, that God would act in power to help his powerless people. And Simeon and Anna both evidence that God's spirit is working in a new way, that that period of silence and seeming absence of uh, God for 400 years now uh, is given way to God acting in an extraordinary way. He has sent a servant who would die in the place of his people, who would be crushed so that we could have hope in the future. But Jesus himself was crushed. He went through and experienced uh, all the things uh, that we experience that lead us uh, to hopelessness. He uh, lived in his adult life, in his last years, a life uh, of opposition. Most of the people who initially followed him abandoned him when he said things uh, that they didn't like. Uh, he experienced betrayal and abandonment from his closest uh, friends. Uh, he was isolated in the moments leading up to his death. He chose to be powerless as uh, we are, and he allowed the doom of crucifixion to fall upon him. And as he submitted to all of this, he did so in hope. His words uh, from the cross where he cries out, why have you forsaken me? Are a Jewish way of citing an entire psalm with just a few words. And that psalm, the 22nd psalm, expresses the psalmist's hope that he will be uh, rescued. The Father crushed him as he took all our hopelessness upon him that we ourselves might receive hope. So if you're hopeless this morning, the question is, what do you think of Jesus? What have you done? Uh, with him? What do you make of him? Simeon and Anna have much to teach us about how it is that we gain hope, how it is that we fight uh, for hope uh, when we're struggling uh, to find it. They are both oriented toward hope. The first thing you should see about them is their uh, lives are oriented around God's uh, promise. They are living in hope. They're not content simply to accept the way things are. Uh, they're not just, um, we're going to settle in. This is the status quo. There's nothing uh, that can be uh, done. They uh, were waiting for what God would do. Uh, uh, Simeon, we're told, is longing for God's consolation. And Anna lives also with a future hope and orientation. Her faith's evident not just in her trusting of God to provide for her daily needs, but also for redemption to come. And secondly, Simon, Simon and Anna show us that the Holy Scripture was the force that was uh, pulling them to have this future orientation of hope. Simeon's song is just filled with the language of the prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, he's looking uh, forward not only uh, through Isaiah to the first coming of Christ, but to the second as well. And whether he grasped all of it or not, we don't know. But it is clear that he saw all the way to the cross. He knew that the servant of the Lord would suffer in the cross. 
And Anna's uh, thanking God her gratitude and her use of the word uh, redemption shows us that she too is pulled by the scripture into hope. The scripture informs her hope. It gave it shape. It filled her with confidence that God would in fact redeem his people. But here's, here's the thing. It, too often, uh, we just settle. We settle uh, uh, and, uh, with the way things are. In fact, hope eludes us because we just look back at the past and we look around at the present and we think, well, this is, well, this is just what life holds. There's nothing uh, more. And uh, you can tell whether that's where you are or whether you're living in this place that both Simeon and Anna are by the activities that characterize their lives. They uh, show us that biblical hope involves a waiting on God. They're waiting with longing. They're not looking to human beings. They're not looking to some circumstance to rescue them. They are looking uh, to God. Are you waiting for God to come in uh, uh, to act in your life? Not only for what he'll do in the distant future when Christ returns, but here in this life. And Prayer is the next activity that marks a life that's really shaped by this biblical uh, hope. There can be no doubt that, like Anna, Simeon too had a deep life of uh, prayer. And unlike us, they knew that prayer was not an act of wasting time. They uh, understood that prayer was not simply how they communed with God, how they spent time with God, but that in some mysterious way, they were actually joining in to what God himself was doing. That their prayers were part of the means which God used to accomplish his purpose of bringing hope to realization. And Anna's fasting is a protest. Now, we often perhaps don't think of fasting as a protest, maybe as a discipline, a way of denying ourselves or a way of setting out time uh, for uh, prayer. But really what Anna's doing is she's protesting as she's waiting uh, for redemption. Um, my, my daughter, my youngest daughter, when she was in middle school, we were sitting at the table and she made this comment uh, about the presence of an active shooter somewhere. She grew up after Columbine. The thought of an active shooter being in a school or in a church or in some public place, well, that's just her world. And she said it so casually. There was just like, like she didn't have this sense of something profoundly wrong about that. Um, but see, that's exactly what, why Anna's fasting. She sees the circumstances that the nation is in and she sees that as something profoundly wrong, and she's protesting it. Anna's uh, biblical uh, hope will not accept life in the fallen world as the final word. Dear friends, my hope and prayer for you is that this uh, Christmas will be for you uh, a time when you are deepened in hope, or if you've never entered into the hope that is offered in the gospel, that uh, you will enter into it. 
to a faith-filled hope, believing that God can act not only in the future to redeem the whole of the cosmos, which now groans uh, under its brokenness and distance from God, but even in your own life, in the circumstances of your own life that are unique to you, that God has not forgotten you, that he's up to something, and that there's reason for you to be hopeful. Let's pray. Gracious uh, Father, move our hearts to a place of uh, deep faith, May that faith uh, uh, so capture us that it be expressed in a longing that waits and does not despair, in prayer and fasting, seeking from your hand only what you can do. We thank you that Jesus has come, and we thank you that uh, as we've put our trust in him, our hope and future is secure. 